Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. My name's Adele Onyango, and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 199 of Legally Clueless. For some purpose, we're an episode away from 200, which is just wild. And this is the first episode of 2023, so it's super exciting. I'm super honored to have you. If this is your first time, welcome to the family. I mean, this is the best time to join at the very beginning of a new year. And if you've always been rocking with us, I truly appreciate you. This past week has seen... Many of you tweet me from Tanzania, from Rwanda, from Kenya, of course. And the love is just overwhelming. It's received and it's appreciated. So if you're new here, episodes like this, audio episodes go out every single Monday. But if you head over to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com, you can watch three seasons of our video series, which is super awesome. Some inspiring African stories there. And you can also join us on our tour series and watch us weave through Kenya, Dubai, France, Zimbabwe. It's awesome. You really should check it out. Oh, and before I forget... Once you're on our website, you can sign up and officially join our family. Once you've joined, you will get a letter every month from myself or some very important special people in my life. And very soon you'll get the calendar for 2023 to know when our wellness events, so yoga, paint classes, aerial hoop, etc. are going to be, as well as our workshops, which help you understand how you can maximize this digital space and earn a living from it. All right, so back to this episode. I am so excited for the story you're about to hear. Well, part one of it, because it's just, it's somebody who I know I did not know he was navigating these things. And when he reached out to share his story, uh, I'm so glad we managed to do it because it's so inspiring. His name is Danny. This is what's coming up. I'd wake up and probably yell, confused, go vomit, come back, convulse. So she'd panic and then she had to call. The neighbors would come and find out what's wrong with Dan. They rushed me to hospital. So I woke up on a drip. And when it was over, we were discharged. When we got home like this, I tried, because my cousin didn't buy me alcohol. I really wanted booze. I remember even leaving the hospital like I want to go get a drink and he had to follow me and tell me, relax, we'll get you a drink. My bro was abroad. There's a day we went for dinner with his wife. In case I have him dinner, me, I'm going to get shots. I was thinking I'll find the money to pay for it and I didn't have. So the bill came to the table. These guys don't know I'm taking shots. So that's Danny's story. It's coming up a little later in this episode. But before we get there, a bit of a catch up. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Song of the week. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness, I always forgot it. And the way there was no song of the week in the last episode, goodness. But this week, the song I want you to check out is by Alicia Keys. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine, she was studying in Spain. I want to say she was either in Spain or the States at that time. And when she came back for the holidays, I was going through like the worst breakup ever. And she brought me a bunch of CDs, one being, I think it's called I Am, if I'm not wrong, by Alicia Keys. And I fell in love with a particular song, which is Tell You Something. That's the song I want you to check out. If I read correctly, it was dedicated to someone, a loved person in her life who passed. And I've just found that song to be very calming and centering for me. It, it, it seems to have that effect on me and so yeah i don't know it might have the same effect on you you might love it so check it out i'll put a link to it in the show notes the name of the song is tell you something okay how has your crossover been oh my goodness into the new year i hope it has been amazing i hope it has been peaceful I know the holiday season can be super triggering in some instances. Linking up with family, sometimes it's not easy or comfortable. So I'm really like sending you tons of love and just hugs if that was the case for you. On my end, it's been such a fulfilling crossover. I haven't done a lot of movement. I think in the past years, I've been doing a lot of movements. So like visiting family, shopping for like weeks before and decorating the house, all these things. And in hindsight, yes, I do love the idea of celebrating a year ending and a new beginning. But I also think to some extent, I was filling up the holiday season with a lot of things to run away from, you know, intimate moments alone, like being by myself. And I think sometimes we run away from intimate moments alone because we're scared of the demons that we may have to confront. But I've discovered, especially during this time and and throughout quite a bit of 2022 that in intimate moments I have discovered such beautiful corners of myself I've been able to be silly (laughs) especially during this crossover dance around my house I've discovered an immense love for planting trees and propagating my plants who I love and who are just growing so amazingly like uh, they're making me so proud is this what parenting feels like I have stuck to an exercise regime for longer than I thought I would. So I swapped yoga for Pilates and it feels so good, especially when a particular exercise that at the beginning used to exhaust me and then now I don't even break a sweat when I'm doing it. It just I'm just like, look at you, look at your body, look, look at what you're doing. <laughs> I have baked a lot, which is something I've loved to do, but Over the years, I just kind of lost that bit. So there's constantly cake or muffins in my house. And very soon, I'm going to be trying my hand at cookies. And once I'm done with that, I'm going to start learning how to frost cakes. That's something I've never done. But yeah, that's been great. I surprisingly even found a love for cooking, which is so freaking weird because I've never been that person. But now you'll find me like whipping up something and having fun while doing it, which is, I think, super important. And I've managed to do this just by like, you know, intimate moments alone. You know, you you'll surprise yourself when you do that. Obviously, will you have demons to battle? Of course. But why do you think you can't? But it's not only the demons. We we focus so much on like, oh, we're going to face our demons. But there's also like a high chance you'll unlock an overwhelming beauty inside you that sometimes you didn't even think or know existed. And I think even during this crossover, a word, if you're new to this, I love words so much. I have so many words tattooed across my body. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I love writing, poetry, etc. I love words, okay? So during this crossover, the word that has really, you know, found a home in my mind is release. You know, it's the word I meditate over. I've experienced a few things in 2022 that had me building resentment for particular people. And I read somewhere that one way to ensure that someone leaves rent free in your head and etched on your soul is to despise or resent them. They will forever be that passenger in your trip of life. Nobody's asking you to love them instead, but release, release it, release them release that emotion. And that's what I've been doing during this this time, just centering my thoughts on releasing everything and everyone that I don't want to carry with me into the new year. You know, sometimes, obviously I'm human, those thoughts attempt to resurrect and I immediately say release. Sometimes I even say it out loud. I remember one time driving and like a thought came in and I was just like, ah, I've released you. <laughs> and I was like, thank God there are no passengers in this car because it'd just be like, what is going on? <laughs> Get me out of this car. But yeah, release has just been something I've I've really been embracing. And so it's I think it's been such a fulfilling crossover on my end. So as I said earlier, I'm very excited for the story you will hear across this episode and next week's episode. Danny's story is in two parts because it's a long, inspiring story. And I want us to just kind of like take a breather and then come back next week for part two. I'll tell you more about how I met Danny <laughs> after the story. But it's really his story of triumph over an addiction to alcohol and his experience in rehab. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. So my name is Daniel, Daniel Orenge, and I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. I think it was in high school, Form 1. It was the time we had left school. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With some friends and, you know, the normal peer pressure. And we, you know, contributed funds and... I think that guy actually went and bought not what we had asked for. I think he went for a cheaper option, but we didn't know. And um, I think that was the first time I had a drink. That incident led to many others. And I think the next one is the one I'd remember better because I was a very good friend of mine and we were going to watch rugby floodlights. <laughs> we, <laughs> we went and we bought two quarters, two, 250 ml. There's this drink called Safari Cane and there was this drink called Kenya Cane. And we sat down. Uh, next to Adams, there was a hospital there called Masaba, and we sat down at a corner, just me and him. And um, we, like, drank, interchanging the drinks. And they're both spirit. And I remember putting the rest in my pocket, and we headed off to floodlights. And taking the matatu there, I remember, I think the conductor actually pickpocketed and took out the drink. But anyways, 
moving on forward, I remember being at the event and blacking out. I remember just blacking out and the effects of the alcohol hitting me much later. My friend taking me to the rugby showers, throwing me in so I can sober up. I remember going home later that evening trying to be sober and saying I'll never have a drink the following day. Little did I know. <laughs> I didn't like the hangover. It was bad. I remember. And I said, I'd, I remember very clearly saying, I will not touch alcohol again. But you know, the body recovers. <laughs> I was about 16 years old. No one from my family noticed anything then. I mean, it wasn't a routine. It wasn't a habit. Not at that point. I also had a very strict dad. Very, very strict dad. So there were some things that were, you don't do. There are incidences when, I mean, when I had another night um, like that. There are incidences that I remember, for lack of a better word, skiving to go out. Um, I think it was in, in my fourth year of high school um, for events like Smanoff experience. And I remember there was an incident where I also, because that, that was the routine, I, I had, I'd wait maybe when my folk, my dad isn't around, specifically my dad, when he'd travel, I'd skive. I'd leave through the back door, my mom wouldn't notice. And there was this day we were going out with my neighbors and we had bought this bottle and we were going to Westlands. Then there was a popular place by the name Kengeles, ABC. And I didn't get to, okay, I went out, but I got caught in town by the police. So me and my friends parted ways and there were no mobile phones then. So I pleaded my case. Because I couldn't imagine my folks being told to come pick me yet. I mean, I'm at home. I'm asleep. <laughs> so they let me go and I went to Kengeles by myself. I didn't have a drink that night, but I, th I was still young. The essence of just listening to music and dancing was good enough. Yeah, so I went out alone and got back home. No one knew anything besides my younger sisters who knew that this guy had gone out. And then there was a off experience. But then it wasn't really about the alcohol. It was about going out and having fun. I remember on Smanoff experience, I was on top of a speaker and I danced the whole night. I remember that because it was not about beer. It was not about that. It was about you have entrance, just go and dance. That was it. Now... After high school, my brother, who is abroad, saw it fit that I should do IB, International Baccalaureate at St. Mary's, so that I can probably put myself in a better place to go abroad. So when I went to IB, there are many things that I, I love. As, as a child growing up, I'm passionate about sports. I mean, I love, I, I love to run. So things like, those are, those are key, comp those are things that defined me. So when I went to St. Mary's and I found rugby, I was like, ah. This is it. So in St. Mary's, the first time, not, not the first time, we had nights when we went out, but I never, I never really drank responsibly. But one incident I remember is when we won Blackrock and St. Mary's hadn't won Blackrock in over four years. And that's our event. And we won it. So we are going out and we are all happy. And I was so ready to drink and went to my friend's place at Westlands and he had a bottle of vodka. And I just told him to fill a glass neat and i flashed it i asked him to do it again like i'm being dead and i did it and that was it my night ended the rest was stories i was being given later about how i was an inconvenience they had to stop by the roadside because i needed to vomit and then when i'm when i got out of the car to vomit i'd fall into the ditch then they'd have to come struggle in their state to pull me back into the car so we got to a ho house party how i was just i was out I was pretty much out. Then I woke up much later, and there was this lady who had eyed me, I think, from the games. And 
the story was different now. She didn't want anything to do with me. I remember trying to approach her and she was like, no, 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 no. So that's one incident where I believe the, the drinking started becoming a bit much. I, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I felt like that's when it started to become more of the alcohol than more of the party. I didn't actually finish. My dad, my dad was like, this guy is doing too much sports. He's not paying attention to books. Um, this thing costs a lot of money. Let's just, let's just take him to university. So I didn't finish. I left in IB1. And um, so that's when I was taken to USIU. There's a reason why I paused. <laughs> <laughs> USIU had a culture around having fun, you know. And there was... Drinking started on Thursday. Thursday was our night. And... Um, I mean, immediately I joined USIU, I had a clique of friends. Good friends up to this very time in my life. Um, and so we used to get ready for Thursdays, you know. But you'd realize that people used to drink at any time. But once you've stayed there long enough, even you get conditioned, you start doing that as well. So Thursday was was everything. We used to go and drink hard liquor. I mean... <laughs> This used to be a place we used to call Bedrock. We used to go to a shop. This lady, there was a shop where we used to go and buy hard liquor. And we go and stand around a rock and warm up, charge. And then now we can go in and buy beer because it was too expensive to drink beer the whole night starting from 5 o'clock. So we'd go and drink cheap liquor. We to, there was Napoleon. There was, there was another drink called Iceberg. And we used to chase them because we were young. We used to, I mean, there was the gym. So we used to exercise. So we were also fit. So, But we'd go and drink. But Dan would never last the night. I would always black out. Always. And then I'd lose my phone. So it was not at once. Or it, it became a trend. Every Thursday or Friday, but mostly Thursdays, we'd go out to a club called Cats Club. And I'd be out. I remember there's a time this friend of mine, I don't know if she'll ever hear this, she'll laugh. <laughs> she called me Fireboy for a reason. In the morning at Cats Club, she came and pulled me off. It's like an outdoor furnace where they put for guys to warm. So now the coal was cooling off. So I think I went and sat there. Then I blacked out on the coal. She came and pulled me out. Me, I was out. So later is when I'm sobering up. I'm like, what? Then I'm looking at my T-shirt. It's all burnt at the back. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get burnt. And then we went to them to their place in Roisambu. And she calls me Fireboy from that day because that's, that was a defining moment for her. So I never used to understand why, you know, I'd, it was like every time you're going to drink, my mission is not to black out, <laughs> you get, but it was beyond me, <laughs> you'd find yourself blacking out. And then from there, I mean, on Thursdays, you have your USIU life, then weekend, you have your, because we used to stay in Kilimani, and there's Kilimani life. So there's, you party with your boys, you go to Westlands, Westlands was everything, the clubs like Q's, I mean, but by the time you get into the club, Danny sleeps. It was, that was my routine. I mean, the most embarrassing one was once we used to go to Village Market. There was a club there. And um, so I blacked out as usual. And then the following day, I was trying to look for a plan. And my friend told me that when they saw my phone call, they laughed. Because I was actually on a magazine. It was called The Pulse. Yeah. My, my very good friend has that picture till this very day. I'd blacked out on the floor. And then they had written there, another nigger. And going to school on Monday... It was so embarrassing because everybody used to read the pulse. They're like, I saw you. I saw you, you know. So, I mean, that should have been a good time to, to know that dad has a problem, yeah? But who knows? Everybody just knows we're having fun. Everybody knows we're having fun. The hangover ends quickly. You get back. Um, but one thing I used to love about 
I mean, one thing that helped me, I think, and it, it was something very important. And I, I, I think parents of this day and age understand this better because folks for back in the day used to think it's all studies. Every child is different and you have to have a balance. And I feel like for me, there was a lot of energy that was unused growing up because I really wanted to do sports. And I feel like, and I'm not blaming anyone, by the way. It's just, that's how things were. And I'm, I'm sure there are many people who also went through the same thing. So like at USIU, one thing that used to really keep me focused was the gym because I'd want to play rugby, but I'd it would be an uphill task because you need boots, you need things when you need to go on trips, you need, you need a bit of support. But that's not in my parents' idea of university. Go read, get a job. So the gym worked. Uh, the gym, I mean, you're not paying for it. It's accessible. So whenever I would have streaks of training, I'd be off the alcohol. Totally. As in, I'd, I'd have very good conversations in my head and say, this quarter cost 250 shillings. It will not stop there. This would buy me four chapatis and dengu and an avocado, which will do my body much better than this. So I'm going to do this, you know, just because of exercise, you know, I'd choose better. And um, yeah, of course, we'd go home and still smoke weed. <laughs> <laughs> Weed, weed was okay. You know, we used to think there's no problem with weed. You can, you can be able to wake up tomorrow and do your thing. So that was another thing we used to do. But I, I just think it's very important that I mentioned the exercise part because it, it, it's something I feel is very fundamental even in my recovery journey. And, and to be honest, you know, if you have a child who loves, if there are things that are unique about your child, let them do it because that is what will keep them away from the vices. There was this guy on TV who I saw the other day. Sorry, just to add this. Um, he, he's, he's, he's a musician and he's not from a well-off family. And so they asked him, how are you doing music at this point in your life? He's very young. And your parents, they're not, they're like, he said, my parents support my music. And he said, I think why they do that is because all the children, my age mates right now, are in drugs but he finds fulfillment because everybody's find, trying to look for fulfillment he finds it in music so i think it's very important even as you're raising your children just to be aware of what they love and support it yeah you'll 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 thank yourself later Yes, I, I took longer than usual <laughs> um, because it was seriousness. Then we, 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 you know, we stray and um, at times I go like I, I know I could have done better but we got to finish. Um, it took me longer. It should have taken me not more than four years. It took me about five and a half to finish. And um, I mean, I tucked in my pride and I went and finished. You know, there's some classes when you find yourself in third year and you know there's a class you haven't done for first year. Mm -hmm. You feel a bit intimidated, but I still went and did them. And um, yeah, I was able to graduate. That's was, that was in 2010. Uh, by this time, definitely everybody used to associate me with a lot of drinking. Everybody who I knew used to know I drink a lot. Because I can't count the incidents. There are so many, so, so many where we used to drink and waste away, you know. There were so many, even during the week. And I used to even drink with my cousin. He was called Joash. He passed. And um, he used to derail me. But, and we used, to, we used to work out together. So that was a plus and there was a negative. So his classes used to be on weekends because I met him in USIU. So you already knew the routine. So he used to have classes on Friday, Saturday. So during the week, you'd not see him. So you'd say his weekend starts like on Sunday and Monday. So he'd come and look for me in school on <laughs> Monday or Tuesday. And he'd tell me, let's go drink. And I'm like, so it's Tuesday, man. And 
like, ah, let's just go drink a little. And that would mess my week. You know, we would drink and end up at his place. And then the following morning, we would wake up and be like, hey, we would look for cash and drink again. So we used to have those, but I used to break off at times. So but as, as you've asked, so by the end, by that time I was finishing, it was obvious um, that I had a, a drinking problem as compared to the rest. But I also saw other guys who also had a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. Some were worse off. I, I saw many people, not, not just me. Mine was evident because I used to black out. So people used to be like, this guy doesn't know how to handle his liquor. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I was drinking so much. It's just that my tolerance at that point was little so once i passed that the body shuts off i mean then we were hoping just to sustain the lifestyle we had because even through internship i i think i i think i was meant to be there for what three months i think i attended it like one and a half because they are like during a week monday tuesday i'm not there for sure nursing a hangover and then I'd show up on Wednesday, work Thursday, then Friday-ish. And uh, they just let me, it, it, they just let me breeze through it. And one thing I, I think also is that I, what I studied at USIU, what I decided to do is not what I really wanted to do. It wasn't fun, even the internship was not fun, I was doing accounts. I was like, through the whole classes, I didn't like it because I did IBA, but I did a concentration, it was called concentration then in finance. Um, and I think I was doing it because my mom always used to say um, she sees a banker in, in the family. And I think that's my bro, not me. <laughs> so I just did it for the for the sake of doing it, but that, that wasn't my calling. But anyways, I'm not complaining. Some of those things help because it's sort of related to wh- where I work now. So I finished late. So of course, there are some friends who went ahead of me and I had made new friends. Some hadn't finished. Some were just were behind me and even some I was staying with. So we lived in Roisambu. So I think the most important thing then was to keep the Roisambu house. Um, we looked for work and I worked in a call center. The call center was on and off with payments. And even us were not 100% attending work because we'd always smoke weed in the evening. Given the opportunity, we'd drink um, cheap liquor so it wasn't sustainable so we the house had to be closed then through an agency my friend connected me to the mom who owns it we got a job guess where EABL <laughs> East African Breweries yes East African Breweries Limited um, so we were trade developers and you needed to have a car I didn't have a car so my bro-in-law uh, somebody else who passed I'll tell you about him later um, was able to get me a car temporarily. So I was moved to a region in Kenya called Kirinyaga. And um, I'd get money. T- I, d- I don't even think I rented a house. I used to try and drive back to Raisambu. I'd sleep in lodgings. But in the morning, I'd have beer for breakfast, go sell. As I'm selling, I open a quarter in the car. By the time evening, I mean, I'd sell. I, that's something I, I do naturally. I'd sell. But intoxicated so by the evening i'm high so you're by yourself i'm in the car i can't go to the lodging it's too early i open another quarter and that was the routine so there are times i'd black out i'd wake up and find like six missed calls from my boss and i'd lie somebody puts spiked my drink so that routine went on for a while and i mean there are times god really just took care of me because there are times i drive back to nairobi intoxicated thinking I'm in control, but I was driving really recklessly. And um, so they decided to move me from Kirinyaga to Kisi. Now, by that time, I don't have the car. So at home, 
my dad had an old car and I was really pushing for it to be fixed. My bro sent money. We spent days fixing it, fixing it, fixing it, waking it up. And this car was not in good condition, even to be used. But me, I really wanted to work. And um, so the boss for Kisi kept on calling and saying, this guy you're sending hasn't come. He hasn't come. He hasn't come. So on the day it was ready, it was not even ready, <laughs> but I made sure it could move. I was called to the office. And of course, when you work with mechanics, those guys drink. So even me, I was drinking with them. Drinking, drinking. And this is hard liquor. This, this is second generation plastic container liquor. And one thing that really, I used to really enable myself because of my mouth. I could really talk people into things. And my mom used to tell me that, Daniel, that mouth of yours could be used for good or for bad. Be careful. And I used to find ways to drink. So on the day I was meant to go to EABL, I remember I was with my friend and we passed through the office. And um, I remember the boss, when I went close to him, he pulled back because he was like, what are you drinking? And then he told me, Dan, sorry, uh, we, we can't keep you because we have been waiting for you. We have already replaced you in Kisi. So my heart sank. I felt bad. And that's now where things started sort of going south because now I'd lost any sort of, I couldn't enable myself. I mean, now you don't have a job. What next? And my folks had moved. in When I was, I think, in my third year, they moved from Kilimani to a place called Gataka. It's behind Karen. Then it was very rural. Now it's pretty modern. But then it was pretty rural. So even, I mean, I really insisted on staying with friends so I don't have to struggle with that commute. Then, So at this point, I'm thinking, I can't go to Gataka and just sit, you know. I need a life. So um, I went and chilled out at my friend's place that wasn't sustainable so eventually I had to go back home and think about what next so my dad was able to connect me with another job crown paints that was a good job I was in sales in exports so they would fly me out of the country I used to feel so good about myself and um, they saw the potential in me because I first went for an accounts interview but they said no we'll call you we know what you can do just from that interview they knew I could do sales so they told me, we want to put you in sales. And um, the addiction was, was already sort of there because I was introduced to something else. Sorry, I forgot to mention this uh, by a friend. <laughs> I won't say his name. but <laughs> He introduced me to what we call, my friend said the biological term is, it's called cathaidulis. I don't know how accurate that is, but we call it mogoka. It's like, it's cut, but the leaves. And to be very honest, what, what I think, it, it's, it's a very strong stimulant. And it sufficed because you chew it and you the thing about it, it makes you feel like an intellectual when you chew it you feel very alert and your you can your evening can easily flow so i was introduced to this thing so it used to become now a habit chew and then drink less because if you drink if you just start on the you couldn't afford it you can't afford it and a quarter is not enough so uh, the mogoka was affordable so I already had started building up on that habit. So by the time I went to Crown Paints, every day after work, I would either leave work early, but it was a bit hard there. After work, I'd go chew. Then after chewing, I'd go home, smoke weed, try and drink a little. Then the thing with chewing, you don't sleep. Sleep comes at five when I'm meant to be waking up. I remember telling my friend like a joke, I think I'll have a bag for chewing in the morning. He was like, Dan, don't do that. Don't, don't be silly. What You're going to work. Yeah, so Crown Paints was fun. Um, they took me out of the country severally, but I just went on drinking because I had allowances in dollars. I mean, 
for morning beer. Then by the time you're meant to go back, you don't have enough cash. So the office gets to find out about these things. And of course, it will impact your capacity to sell. And the day I came back and the boss looked at me and he told me, Danny, you're just here to have fun. Because I think you could still smell liquor. And he was very angry. And me trying to justify myself went to the CEO to try and, you know, try and say that this guy is not looking at the efforts I'm putting in. And I was doing worse. And that even now triggered everything. And I lost the, the crown paints job. And that was another sad ending. And that now made me go into hiding. Because I didn't want to go home. The house where I was staying was closed. So I went to stay with friends in Langata. These friends are still in uni. So then they are being provided for. So for me, it was trying to hustle, look for opportunities to get work. I, I was just running away from reality. I was, I was embarrassed about who I had become. I was ashamed of myself. I mean, considering what everybody used to think of me and where I was. And then I'd lost a lot of weight because you're not eating. You're, you're trying to sustain a habit. And so, yeah, I went hiding out in Langata and um, any opportunity to smoke weed and drink was, was welcome. Was welcome. And we continued to dig deeper into the addiction as a coping mechanism from the reality that, you know, we are dysfunctional. I am dysfunctional. I cannot do things like other people. Um, but then I was able to meet a lady. I was still passionate about trying to do voiceovers. I mean, I'd come to studios. I think I, I think even that's when I had met you. I think you came to 1FM. 1FM, yeah. yeah, around that time. There, there are places I was sending out samples. But the other day I was listening to T.D. Jakes and he was saying that he sees his son when he's shaving he sees his son standing next to him on the mirror, seeing who he'll become. And T.D. Jakes is seeing who he was. So he'd shave and the son would watch. And he'd make sure he hides the razor blade because he doesn't want the son to try. Because that would be, it would be injurious to him. But he said, it's interesting that that's how God works. Because God knows there are things that are for you, but not at that time. Either way, I met many people, did voiceovers, even tried doing MCing events. And through MCing an event, I was able to meet a lady who connected me to insurance. And I became an insurance agent from there. At least one thing I needed was a hustle. Mm, I needed a hustle. So at least I could feel like I'm doing something. And it actually helped. Insurance was a blessing in disguise. And I actually was good at it, despite the addiction. Because it wasn't a 9 to 5. It was wake up and you do your hustle. Try and bring in accounts, then you get your commission. I remember the times when I was home. At the time I bumped into my dad and I'd come from buying weed. And I was setting myself up for the night in my room. And I had cheap liquor. And she asked me, my son, what are you drinking? And I told him, I've drunk beer. He said, that's not beer. <laughs> you know, my dad doesn't drink, but he knew that's not beer. So there were incidences where my mom... My dad mentioned it. Probably they did, but I don't remember. And it probably just, I, I probably was trying to, I think one of the things is I was justifying my drinking because it's something Kenyans do. I was like, why are you tell everybody drinks alcohol? What's the problem with me drinking? I don't see. And um, now trying to keep a job was trying to sustain my point that I can drink. So, and that's why I would stay away from home. So I could f sort of have some independence but it was it was a tough ride it was it was a tough ride so my folks my bro was abroad many times they there's a day we went for dinner and with his wife then they had just been married and because i'm having dinner me i'm going to get shots and i was thinking i'll find the money to pay for it and i didn't have so the bill came to the table these guys don't know i'm taking shots i think the bill was about four or five g's shots and this is a long time ago this is around 2011 my sis-in-law was so annoyed because she paid the bill 
She was so annoyed that we are sitting here having dinner. You're pretending you're going to the loo. <laughs> you're just taking shots. So I think by then, I mean, it was all evident to everyone Daniel has a problem. But getting through to me was was the issue because I wouldn't hear to you. Most of the times I was either on marijuana if I couldn't afford drink and... Um, I was not at home. So I'd call in once in a while, send me money for food, send in money for this. And my bro tried his best. My bro has supported me since uni with phones, which I've lost. I mean, he'd sent cash for me to do insurance and tell me, Daniel, I'm sending you cash on a Monday so you can go and sell and so you can pick up and manage yourself. But um, they all knew there was a problem. It's just that I wasn't home to be an inconvenience. I was just, they, they'd see me when I'd come home and they'd, my mom probably would feel sad about the whole situation. There are times I had interviews that come to change in the morning and that morning I had taken a drink just so I could wake up. Of course, you go to the interview and they can smell it and you don't get the job. So it, it had become a problem. It had become a problem. So we insurance helped me to avoid unnecessary confrontations with bosses about the drink. Though even at insurance, they knew. Because every time we'd have meetings, I'd be smelling of alcohol. And they used to always tell me, Dan, Cassio, if it's not that alcohol, you, you will do well in this insurance. Because you know how to talk, you know how to dress, you have the confidence. But it's just that drink. So I, I, I knew, I knew there was a problem. But I, you see, you know there's a problem, but it's so normal to you that you feel like this is just you now. Like, okay, fine, yeah, you've told me. So now, <laughs> what, what, what do I do? Next best step. Stop drinking. How? You know, you're not giving me a formula. So I met my wife through this. I was at a Wines and Spirits drinking and I was staying with a guy. We moved in together and we said we'll split the rent. My bro said he'll assist in whatever capacity. My wife's friend had met him at a bar, which was called Oxygen in Langata. They had a thing and they were meant to meet the following day. So the following day he called her to where we were and that's when I met my wife. So we decided let's go to the house. Let's take the party there. And I remember buying cheap liquor and she humbly just drank it with soda, but not much. And uh, we, we hit it off on that day because first I felt unjudged because one of the things I used to really hide. If I'd see you and I know you, I'd take a left uh, because of who I felt I had become. So moving forward, there are incidences that made us stay together because at the time I was staying with some friends and one of them insulted me and my manhood because I couldn't I didn't have money I think he said he said something very insulting in front of ladies who are in the house that you're, you're busy here talking and you can't even pay electricity and I got very annoyed so I told her my lady that it's either I go home I'm not going to stay here and if I go home that's it because the commute from home daily to go and do anything was expensive and I can't ask my dad every day for cash. So we, we came to an agreement, let's stay together. And that's how we started. So staying together helped me a lot because there were controls. In the morning, there'd be breakfast. My suit would be organized and I'd, you know, get motivated to work. And it actually helped my insurance career. But the drinking was still there. Every evening, I'd chew and drink. So it became what the chewing would do. The chewing was like a suppressant. It would suppress the excess drinking because you see the thing about an alcoholic is by that time i developed tolerance your body doesn't know when to stop so you can drink a quarter another quarter another quarter until you pass out so the chewing gave you a high that was good and then you would just drink a little bit and maybe a bit of marijuana and you feel like everything is okay then tomorrow you can function or you can function so 
if I don't chew, the drink becomes excess. <laughs> so, so there are instances where I'd wake up in the morning and drink hard liquor and try and sober up maybe at the end of that week. It just, it just be like stupors when I'm unproductive. Wake up, drink, blackout. Then I'd try and sober up on a Friday. So one day, my cousin visited Josh and... Um, he came with a bottle. At this time, I'm having pains, abdominal pains. And I and we were drinking and I told him, let's go watch football and have a beer. I don't want to drink any more of this hard liquor. So we went and we had a beer and we came back to the house. And he continued drinking and I told him, I don't think I can. But the sad thing is that my body, I'm having a pain, but I still want a drink. So I thought maybe a beer is all I can have. So we went to a, a, a bar and... He left, and I was with some friends. And that night, I was meant to go out with my wife. So I ordered a beer. I drank three sips of the beer, and I felt nauseated. So I told my friends, I'll see you. I'm going home. So I called my wife, and I told her, I don't think we can go out tonight. I'm not feeling good. So I went, and I blacked out. I woke up in hospital. So what I heard is, I mean, my wife can we can share a story. I mean, there's a group called Alanon. You've heard of Alanon? Alanon is not a Kenyan group, but it's like Alanon came. There's a guy called, I think it's called Bill, Dr. Bill, who started AA. Now his wife started Alanon, and Alanon is a group for people who have been victims of loved ones in addiction. So it's a support group. I'm saying maybe she can give her own side of the story. But so what happened is she said at night, I'd wake up and probably yell, confused, go vomit, come back, convulse. So she'd panic and then she had to call. The neighbors would come and find out what's wrong with Dan. And then in the morning, they rushed me to hospital. So I woke up on a drip. So that was incident one, warning from the body. So I remember looking at the drip patiently waiting for it to end because the body was demanding another drink. I remember watching, watching. And when it was over, we were discharged, went and we bought the, the, the famous power sandwiches then. And um, when we got home like this, I tried, because my cousin didn't buy me alcohol. I really wanted booze. I remember even leaving the hospital like I want to go get a drink and he had to follow me and tell me, relax, we'll get you a drink. And um, when we got home, when they left, my wife told them, no, you guys go. I left the house. I didn't have cash. I, was, I said, I'm going to go and find a way. I remember my wife following me to the road, and she was yelling in a compound in an estate and saying, you want to go waste your life? Go waste your life. So I came back to her, and I told her, listen, I really need a drink. And I soothed her with a nice talk, and I was able to get a black ice. <laughs> I was able to convince her, and I bought a light drink, very light. At least when she was like, okay, this is not heavy, it's not spirit. So I bought two of them, and that was that. So you had asked if the, the warning sign, that was the first one. There were many others that came, and they became worse over time. There was a time when I had gotten the job where, where I currently am. I had just first officially gotten employed. Then I found myself in a stupor. Stu These stupors were really bad, because a stupor is like a cell, where when you wake up in the morning, your body needs a hard start with only alcohol mm. it's like you're, you're dysfunctional it's like you have to take a drink it doesn't matter whether you have work to go to or no you will have to get a drink and then you find yourself drinking the whole day until the point you black out mm. and wake up tomorrow mm. or at night you even lose track of time so i had a stupor and um it was moving back home to my mom's because we couldn't afford the rent and it had it had really built up and were allowed to go. It was like a blessing when the landlord said, you guys just get out of my house. So I was in a stupor for a week. I remember that day, the day I woke up in my room and I, I actually thought I was dying. I, th I really had a close encounter with death because I woke up and I couldn't get off the bed and I felt v like a 
something heavy on me very hot and i was sweating like like a river you know and i prayed one thing is that through this whole journey you you get closer to god whether you like it or not because you see how he he helps you there are many instances where i saw god when you find yourself in hospital you hear the story you go like yo that's god how else would you explain that so i remember praying and telling god no, when I woke up, I saw I was in hospital. And then it, I cried because I was like, I cannot be in hospital again. What did I do at home? Did I mess up? Because you don't have memory of anything. Then I blink, I wake up in, I'm in the room. But so I was able to get out of that. These were all very spiritual things. Because even how I was able to sit up was not with my effort. But I remember crying. I wanted to get out of the room. I couldn't see the lock. They had to come and open for me using some other means. But through all that, after I got out of that... It's like whatever was holding me in that addiction sort of loosened. That's why I felt like there was a tug of war and I could be sober. After that, I became sober like for a day or two. And I used to drink daily, remember? So that's the point where we, my wife told me, let's go and see somebody, a doctor. And I'm seeing us going to Madare Hospital, mental hospital. I'm like, what? <laughs> These guys think I need rehab, think, think I need this. So they, we saw somebody there who sent us to a doctor, Aga Khan, and um, she asked me, when is the last time you had a drink? I told her yesterday. Before that, the day before. Before that, the day before. When is the last time you had a space? I don't remember. Can you sleep without a drink? No, you have a dependency. And um, you need rehab. I was like, what? How? Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. I just think it's such a powerful journey that Danny's on. And I literally just chatted him before recording this and just thanking him for allowing this space, Legally Clueless, to be a vessel in this powerful work that he's doing. I really think you figure out your purpose through many things, but the two that stand out for me are through your story and owning it, and then using that story to figure out how you can be in service to others. And I just, I don't know what it is, but I get this overwhelming feeling that he's just at the beginning of such a powerful journey, and you can really feel it. You can really feel it. So I can't wait for you to listen to part two of the story, which will be in next week's episode. And I met Danny a couple of years ago when I joined uni, I think around about that time. And I can attest that he was always in the gym. Then it turned out he was a close friend to a friend, now an ex. And what's weird was there was a point in my life when I was hanging out with a crew of guys who partied a lot. And I did too. I mean, we drank, we would do three days straight of partying. And I thought I was so cool hanging out with the guys. <laughs> but, you know, as I listened to his story and you know, even going back and producing it. I don't think any of us ever flagged heavy drinking in the sense of noticing when, okay, this person is drinking more than usual or I don't think we ever had those moments. Well, I can say I never had those moments. Maybe because we were all doing it and then also youth is, is a crazy thing. But I do know right now and it's conversations I have with someone super close to me about how we need to be more attentive to our friends and kind of like keep an eye out for cries of help that may not come out through words. So, I mean, I am more attentive. Granted, I have way fewer friends, which makes it easier. 
<laughs> and I remember just yesterday, actually, I was talking to someone about how I've also reduced my alcohol intake. It's really because, first, I've just narrowed down to taste. What do I like? <laughs> Secondly, also cost. I remember going into town and thinking about buying my favorite bottle of red wine, which is 4,000 bob. And I caught myself and I was like, what else can you do with that 4,000 bob, though? And I ended up not getting the bottle. So there's that, just trying to make better financial decisions. And there's also the element of liking who you are when you're buzzed or when you're drunk or when you're high. And for me, it's like, okay, how can I, why am I scared of being that person without assistance of alcohol, whatever it is, you know? And so it's like, I want to be able to be who I love about myself throughout without this other thing or vice that helps me do that. I don't know if that makes sense, but we were talking about it with someone yesterday and I was like, yeah, I think that's a huge part of it for me as well. And going through December, man... I don't know about other countries, but I feel like this tag of, hey, Kenyans can drink is not cool. There was a doctor who tweeted, a Kenyan doctor, and she was like, dudes, what's happening? I'm getting so many cases of alcohol poisoning. Like, please, please pace your drinking, eat, drink water, etc." And the comments, I normally don't jump on things on Twitter because I just, I'm really adamant about protecting my space and I don't want any mad people to find their way to my timelines. But this one I jumped in because most of the responses to her were just so ignorant and it was people just joking and being like look we're bringing for you business and you're refusing or you know just like those things I'm like how are you joking about alcohol poisoning and I jumped in to share about it because I was like nobody is telling you or shaming you for drinking it's just like how do you use Still enjoy your drink if you must, but take good care of your body. You know, you only get this one body. And there was also a lot of ignorance around alcohol poisoning that I had. I think I've said this on the podcast before. I had in the past until someone I knew a couple of years ago went out with his boys and just didn't wake up. He died and they ruled it, you know, alcohol poisoning. And I remember being up at 3 a.m. It really disturbed me because at that time I thought alcohol poisoning referred to like illicit brew or expired drinks or drinks that have been messed around with. And I just was like, where would he get access to that? So 3 a.m., I Google alcohol poisoning and then I see a definition that this is loosely termed. So there's probably a better phrase definition, but it's like the alcohol is the poison and your body can only process a certain amount of alcohol in a certain time frame. So alcohol poisoning is a consequence of just like overloading your body with the poison. And so your body can't process. It can't clean it out fast enough. And so then it starts vomiting you start vomiting, blacking out. Those are not normal. Like I think about back in the day when we were in uni and a night out, someone would be throwing up and we'd be like, ah, you morad, morad, <laughs> Yeah, that one. <laughs> and, and we'd be laughing it off or like, you, you blacked out even when the night began. Dudes, that's your body saying, it's enough. I can't handle it. Please stop. And there's just so much ignorance around this. And I think it's intentional because industries will not give you information that's bad for business. So you really have to take ownership over your body. Ultimately, it comes down to you. So like pace yourself, eat, drink water, listen to your body. If it's telling you, dude, I can't. Imagine listen. I don't know. I just feel like Especially when I do more work on myself and just mentally and start to understand that I'm trying to think of how do I say this and, and with it not sounding 
not humble, but I don't know how else to say it. Realizing I'm dope physically, mentally, spiritually. I'm this dope being and I want to preserve my dopeness in all facets, you know, so I want to give myself the right food. I want to exercise. I want to take care of my mental. I want to be of service to my body. You know, like in celebration of just how dope I am, let me keep celebrating in all ways. Does this make sense? You know, it's so like, even when you're enjoying your drink, just never forget that. And that has been so powerful in unlocking things for me. Even just things as little as cleaning my house. I hate cleaning up, man. I hate it so much. I'm like, no, Sis, we're going to do it because you're so dope. Why do you want to live in a place that's dusty? You don't deserve that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, yeah, so you, you can take the same approach with the things you put into your body. Just, just take care of yourself. And Danny is just such a kind human being. He was kind enough to share his social media handles and phone number as well if you'd like to reach out and get help if you're navigating this difficult journey of addiction. Listen to this. Very simple. I'll put it this way. There, there, there are no hashtags. You at what? It's, it's a simple. If you look for Daniel Orenge on Facebook, Daniel Orenge on Instagram, Daniel Orenge on YouTube, you will definitely find me. And I have no... I, I, I feel... I don't need to hide my number. I mean, if if you want to reach out to me on WhatsApp, I mean, on all those days, you can always message message me, and I I always respond. There are many people who have sent me messages when they check my videos, and they are getting help, mm-hmm. and I, I I thank God for that. So of course, my number is zero seven double three six six eight eight one seven. That one you will get me on WhatsApp. I just feel like that was so selfless of him, but I can only imagine how lonely that journey of healing from addiction is the stigma that society comes with so you don't have a lot of support systems i love that we're having these conversations nowadays but we're just at the beginning so feel free to reach out to danny i've put links to his social media platforms in the show notes he's more than willing to talk one-on-one which is great i think building connections is across africans is something that is quite magical to be able to do on this platform. All right, so I'm going to end this episode here. Uh, do remember that you can sign up to join our official family. Head over to legallycluelessafrica.com. You can also catch this podcast on Trace Radio if you're in Kenya. Yeah, Trace FM. We play there every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. and Fridays at 1 p.m. Just head over to traceradio.co.ke either to stream Trace there or you can get a list of all the frequencies for wherever you are for those of you in Kenya. Next week, Danny shares part two of his story. It has more to do with his experience in rehab. So that's coming up in episode 200. 200 episodes. My goodness. I can't believe episode 200. You know, that's a lot. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm so excited. You know what? I'm so excited. That's a- you know, that's a lot. That's a lot. Oh, it's so beautiful. We've grown so much and we still have so much more growing to do. And we're embarking on that this year. I'm so happy. I'm going to end this episode here because I might just start crying and I do not want that. So bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.